Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Clark. For the last decade, I've had the privilege of learning from impactful leaders across the globe through my service in the Peace Corps and nonprofits. Their leadership has inspired me to highlight those among us who are truly impacting our world so that we may learn from them and be more impactful together. Yes, leadership can be learned. The guests on our show are providing direction, inspiration, and leading the way in their business and community through service. Are you ready to have an impact? Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. Chris, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad we are finally able to get you on because you, I think this, you are so contagious, like with your energy and just like the way you work. And I think with the business that you have, it's hopefully this helps propel, like propel you yeah. a little bit further. Um, for in simple terms, can you explain a little bit what you do? So in the simplest terms, my <laughs> company takes the oil change. Instead of you having to go to somewhere to get an oil change, we come to you. So whether that's home, work, office, school, wherever it happens to be, on site, um, on the construction site, wherever. So you're pretty much the way for whoever is listening, watching, the way we met originally was through your beard. And then I was just like <laughs> commenting on it. Yeah. And then once you started mentioning the oil change, I don't know how many miles I was over. And I was like, I spend so much time not doing that when I need to. So it was like the perfect fit. Um, yeah. We've kind of spoken this about this before, but how did you come up with that? idea and what inspired you to start it so i was driving i don't know i was working in outside sales i was driving an absolute massive amount every month there was actually a month where i did three oil changes in one month mm -hmm. at five thousand miles a piece um and i got to driving even more because i met my girlfriend down in florida and every week i was driving back six and a half hours down to destin every week and i'd come back on friday and i'd drive back down monday and come back on friday I did it for four months and I just started keeping oil chain supplies in my trunk um, because it was just, you know, I, I had to be, had to do it on time, keep up with the vehicles, you know, the service and everything like that, make sure the vehicle was okay. But I was, didn't know idea where I was going to be. I'd done one in a rest stop, did one on the side of the highway. I did one um, in a hotel parking lot. I did one at the condo uh, parking lot. And so that kind of led the way. So I realized it was possible to do it pretty much anywhere you want. Um, and that sort of led the way. And a year prior, I had decided that I wanted to do something with cars, but I didn't want to do repairs for a living. And so I had no idea what that was going to be until I started doing this. And then it was like, you know what, maybe I should do this for like, you know, as a side hustle, do it for friends and family on the weekend. And then it got down to what am I going to call it? Um, and the name Valley Oil Changes popped into my head. And that was that was it. For someone like me that knows absolutely nothing about cars. Why is it so important to keep that oil up? Because what happens once you start pushing a thousand, two thousand, three thousand miles over what oh. that little sticker they put on your windshield? Yeah, I mean, so the service mileage is an interesting thing. So the the mileage interval is the over time they discovered that these mileage intervals were the best way to go about it because what you're really tracking is cycle time so you're tracking tracking engine cycle 
But there's used to be there was no way to do that. Now we have computers and some cars automatically actually track the revolution of the pistons and everything. And that's the most accurate way. But when you start exceeding the recommended mileage, what ends up the oil is getting dirty. Every time you go a foot, your engine is cycling that oil to keep the you know engine components lubricated. And so as you drive, you're actively dirtying the oil as the pistons and everything go. And so what happens over time is that you've got enough dirt and kind of junk in it that it can start to damage the engine. You can start causing issues with the piston rings and, you know, just the way the cylinder seat. And eventually what will happen is you'll start consuming oil. Um, so your vehicle will start burning it. It'll start leaking it. It'll start consuming it. Um, and as you consume, the, the, you know, as you as your engine consumes oil, there's less oil to lubricate the pistons. And as there's less oil to lubricate the pistons, that means there's less oil to absorb the dirt and stuff that you're creating through that process. And so when you get down and down and down, you end up just with like muck, essentially. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I actually, had, I did not know that. And that's probably the easiest way I've ever had someone explain that to me before. Because when it comes to cars, I just, it always goes over my head and I just clock out it's like cars and taxes and some of that other stuff just like in one ear, out the other. Cause I, it doesn't interest me all that. Yeah, hard. no, I feel it. But then, so what exactly like the traditional shop, I bring in my car, I bring, you know, sit there for two hours. Like what is that? It's a little bit obvious, but I'll ask it anyways. What's that traditional like difference between a traditional oil change and then what you do in your services? I think the predominant difference is obviously that I'm mobile, right? So I come to you instead of you going to a shop. The thing that there's two things that that does for people with the way I do it anyway, that it takes away that waiting time. Now you're at work, you're continuing to be productive. You get to make money instead of lose that time on the clock or waste your lunch break or, you know, rush to the shop right after you get off work because they close an hour after you get off work or whatever. And so it takes away the stress of worrying about it. Now it's no longer, oh, you know, I have to set aside four hours because it might take three. Now it's, hey, like I'm going to go to work and it's going to happen. And so even just the process of booking it is no longer stressful. And the second thing it does is it takes away, it takes away the, the inconvenience of having to go somewhere. Like I said, a lot of people, you know, they have to bum rush to the shop after get off work because they get off work at 5:30 and the shop closes at 7:30 and there's all of that um so it's a big it's a, just a big time saver and then when we have spoken before <clears throat> excuse me where you've mentioned this is your third business that you've opened up to yeah, yeah. what did you learn in the other two that kind of like you through those other businesses that you tried what were you able to bring from those experiences into this because this one has just been taking off for you. So it's like, you seem to have learned from the other lessons that you had before. And now it's all coming together on this one and, you know, just flying off. Yeah, I think that, you know, I've always referred to the previous businesses as wonderful lessons. Um, <laughs> and so for the first one, the thing I, too, is a lot of, a lot of things I learned from the first one, I learned how to, you know, look the basic stuff, like look up to make sure your name's not taken without spending a ton of money. Um, to have like an attorney look into the, the business name. I learned how to file an LLC. I learned how to, you know, deal with commercial insurance. I learned all that stuff. So I think the biggest, most important thing I took away from the first company 
was get your numbers up front. Make sure that it's mathematically feasible for you to do it. And if it's not, you can either find a solution for how to make it mathematically feasible, whether that's investment or, you know, getting a couple of people together and starting the business as a group, as a, as a partnership, or just don't do it. Um, and I think the thing that I learned twice from both previous businesses was that you have to have some level of interest or proficiency or passion for what you're doing. Because the first business I started was just about money. I was told independent insurance agencies are a good way to make money. And I knew enough about insurance to get started. But as I got rolling, I realized I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, I don't like selling insurance. So, um, you know, and, and for cars, I developed a passion after having a, a level of proficiency. So I got to, it interested me enough to, to do it enough to get good enough at it to realize, hey, I really like this. So I think that that was a big one. And the second business, which this business accidentally learned from, I guess, was that don't jump into an oversaturated market. Um, because the second business was a luxury bath salts business and I was going after spas, but I, even though I had better pricing and better quality, I could toll blend, you know, I could blend 4,000 pounds of, of, of bath salts, custom blend lit scents, um, at a time, but I had no way to differentiate myself with all the other people. Cause you know, everyone was making bath bombs and bath salts at the time. So I think that not this company is what I would call an undersaturated market. Yeah. There's I have very few competitors, which has been very nice as well. When you were doing the insurance stuff, when you're going down that road and then you start coming to the realization you're like this isn't really what I want to do, but I kind of started this and now I don't know if I'm too far down the road. Yeah. And was that like realization for you and then what was your thought process on or like how did you get out of that to go into the next one. Cause I think some people would be so stubborn to admit like, Hey, I think I made a mistake here. I don't want to do this in the end. Yeah. I think that it was difficult. I was nine grand in, um, and that was pre-opening anyway. So I was nine grand in when I realized I was nine grand gone, yeah. you know, I'd already spent it on everything from marketing materials and web design and all this other stuff and so which isn't a ton of money now you know like business wise but you know for someone I'm starting I started all of these companies out of pocket so nine grand was a lot of money to lose but I you know kept reminding myself like the sunk cost fallacy if it's not working or it's not gonna work do I is 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 the nine grand I've spent now really worth the rest of my life because if if I if I if I'm like I'm too deep in now then I'm sure as heck going to be too deep in 10 years from now when I'm really hating my life. So, you know, is this moment worth the rest of my life? No one's, no, I don't have any customers that are relying on me yet. And even if I did, I would have found a equitable, you know, I would have found someone to take them and say, hey, this is a great guy, great insurance policies. Um, I'm closing my doors. So I think that it's important not to fall prey to the sunk cost fallacy. Um, because if it's going to make you unhappy for the rest of your life, I don't care how much money you spent now, it's not worth it. No, that's, that's a smart way to go about it. Cause I've met so many people down that rabbit hole and they're just like, they make up all these, you know, they do the mental gymnastics. So then that way they don't jump off. And yeah. now in the, um, the valet oil change company that you have now, what's one of like the biggest challenges that you've seen while trying to start this up? So the the company is interesting for several reasons. One, it's a rel it's a it's 
companies have existed who do this before. The scale that I'm going after is not super common um, from those pre-existing companies. A lot of people were just like mechanics and they decided, hey, I want to make my own money and they made enough to live and then they retired. Um, so there hasn't been a much of a push this direction in this industry. And so as I've gone through, I've realized that I'm essentially on the new frontier of, of a lot of things like Google. Google did not allow me to list my company as an oil change company at first because I didn't have a publicly accessible address and they require <laughs> that you have a publicly available address on your Google listing. And so I was getting destroyed, as you well know, on SEO for being listed as a detailing company um, yeah. because I didn't know what to do. And then eventually, you know, I was able to resolve that um, through a executive office suite. And the owner of that was able to explain why Google won't delist me for using that versus a virtual office, which they would have. So that was a big one. Um, it was really painful in the beginning is trying to figure out, you know, how to, because I was getting requests to come out and wash people's cars because they didn't even bother reading, like going to the website. Um, and then, you know, people thinking about oil changes this way is different. People, what they do, and I, I literally just had a phone call before this where the woman called and she was like, hey, you know, um, do you have availability? Could I come over there right now? Because again, people don't really read the Google listing super well. Um, and, you know, how much would it cost? How long is it going to take? Do you have availability? And it was a great conversation. She, it was a really great conversation. But, you know, that, but when I was talking to her, I was like, you know, it's a new way to think about it because what's happening is that people traditionally will say, hey, I'm going to take Wednesday and I'm going to go get my oil change Wednesday. So I'm going to allot like four hours of my day because I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, and so when I get those calls of people who have picked that day to go get their oil change and they're just trying to see how long it's going to take or whatever, what they, they end up not booking because they're like, I need to get it done today. This is what I decided. So it's such an ingrained thought process that it creates this kind of like it, it creates this like halt, you know, when they call and they're like, yeah. oh, I can't get it done today because it's next day scheduling. And the goal ultimately is, you know, same day scheduling. I'm yeah. just not there. But it's next day scheduling that they, they want to do it today because that's what they decided they're going to do. And that's OK. Um, it's just a different way to think about it. So that's been a big challenge as well. That's really so like, how are you managing between all like all of those logistics if you're running to all these different people of this mobile service? Because that can only. I mean, you're juggling a lot of balls. Not only are you doing the admin and all of like the tasks at this point, yeah. I know the hiring process is you're starting to kind of think about that, but how do you juggle all that? Like what are the logistics of that look like? Um, a bit strained, but uh, you know, the phone calls are, I'm able, I, now I started carrying like a headset with me when I'm doing the oil change so I can like pull my phone out and they hit answer and talk to people while I'm, cause I've been under, under F-150 when I got a phone call off of Google and I answered the phone and I was like quoting them while like tightening the drain plug and doing some other stuff. And, and they thought, they thought that was pretty funny. And they ended up actually booking and they said, you know, honestly, like I wasn't going to book, but it was really funny that you were under a car when you answered the call. So I booked. And so that that's what I've been doing right now. Um, I have some plans. The executive office suite that I partner with has phone answering services. So once the volume gets to a point where I can't properly answer the phone, we're going to be moving that over there. Um, and then uh, online booking. So with my website, you can just go to the website, sit, hit book your service, pick your date and time, 
fill out a little form and that's all you have to do will show up at the time you specify where at the location you, you chose. So that helps a lot because people don't have to go back and forth with me to see what my availability is. And then how do you keep, so if you're underneath the truck doing that with the oil, how are you maintaining that? You're like your, the safety protocols, the quality of it. When I got my, the first time you did my oil change, my car didn't have the air filter. So obviously the quality wasn't there. They didn't even clean the gunk out of whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I don't even think I had a sticker, so I don't even know when my last mileage was. So there yeah. were so many things that were just wrong with the quality of service. And I waited in line for three hours for that too. Like, so how are you maintaining all of that on top of it? So the, the, the nice thing about my company is that I don't really compete with quick lube shops. The, the, the problem with quick, quick lube shops isn't that the technicians are idiots. It's that they are, they, they get these guys who either do or don't know anything about cars. They train them to do it the way that they do it. And then they throw them into a production environment where they're told, get them out the door, leave, get the roll. I want the car to come in. And 10 minutes later, I want the car to leave. And, you know, like we all do, we talk to our coworkers. And so that is, you know, I try to limit the number of phone calls I take because I give the booking time for me is 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. So I, you get to pick your start time, but I have an hour window that I'm going to be servicing your car. And, and there's a lot more than just the oil change that I do. But because I have that more expanded time, I can take the time to do things like, like wipe fingerprints off the front end of a car or, you know, <laughs> make sure that I pull out my torque wrench and torque the oil filter housing correctly, you know, for the, the new cars with permanent oil filter housings. And so there's a lot, not having as severe a time constraint gives me the ability to have more care with what I do. And then also right now I work alone. So there's, you know, 99% of the time I'm, I'm talking to myself and it's about the car. So it's a little easier. So how did you learn how to, the way you've managed this company and the way you have grown it, like, how did you learn how to do all this? stuff (laughs) i mean not just the car part but also like the business side like it's more Mm -hmm. than just filing an llc you have your taxes like how do you there's so many different facets even the marketing side you are pretty um well faceted Mm -hmm. in that and it's just you you have all these different segments of your business and you seem to be adequate in most in like all of them you may not be the best one there but then you know where to find the right people in those spots but like how did you pick all of this up like were you selling baseball cards on the playground when you're growing up or I guess if you want to talk about childhood businesses I started my first business when I was in high school um two actually twice I started one in seventh grade I went to Dave and Buster's and I was really good at the bonus machines you know the tower or whatever (laughs) and I could hit the bonus almost every time and so I went and I bought these spinning tops shaped like people with hats on. And I went to school and I, I, I cleaned Dave and Buster's out of them. And I went to school and I sold them for $4 a piece. And I took that money and, and, it, and it, it became a trend in my school. Like people were like dying for me. They're like, hey, you got new ones yet? Um, so I was selling these week over week. I would just go back to Dave and Buster's. I'd ride my bicycle down there. And this is what I think it was 13. Um and then my friend Carlos and I got together and we bought all of the sodas from all of the vending machines in the school every week. And people had to pay us for them, which it's kind of a little, little more mafia style than, you know, probably yeah. should have been doing. 
but <laughs> we think the the sodas cost like a dollar seventy five from the machine. We charge two dollars for a room temperature, and we charge three dollars for a cold one. And so, and I went, we went to a school with a bunch of rich kids. So like teachers and kids, they were all buying them from us. That's and so, so that was like my, didn't say anything. I, I Maybe they liked it. I really don't know. Like teachers were buying sodas from me and I'm just like, I'm basically extorting these teachers for soda. You know, it's, it's almost, it's like, it's actually now I look back on, it, I'm like, that's actually kind of messed up, you know? Yeah. Um, but the, the students in the school were very wealthy and so they didn't really care they just wanted the cold ones you know so so i guess that was my first foray into making money and i guess probably that's where it all started for me but um i've been fortunate to work and to excel in a lot of different positions i worked at a, a company that did roof inspections for insurance companies a ladder assist company and I, in two years i went from entry level to managing two different departments with almost i think almost 90 employees Holy and so I got a lot of good look. Um, I, that's where I learned how to use Excel so well. Um, I got a really deep look at the back end of their company because I was like the guy. I was the one that they could trust to overdo everything. If they asked for 12, I gave them 24. And so I got my fingers into a lot of different stuff on the back end of the company. I saw contracts with insurance companies. Um, I made phone calls to those insurance companies for collections. I uh, I wrote uh, time tracking uh, Excel sheets to keep keep up with uh, clock ins and and uh, attendance or whatever for ind individual departments. And from what I've been told, the company still uses those those uh, attendance sheets. Um, I wrote you know Excel sheets to calculate bonus eligibility based like bonus eligibility and percent based off of start date and um you know a corrective action and so i got to do all that there i left there and i went to work for the chemical company doing chemical waste treatment and so but again i ended up moving into outside sales and so from outside sales i got to look at marketing i learned a lot about seo and stuff obviously i don't even touch your feet when it comes to seo but i learned the basic concept and why it was an ongoing thing rather than a you know you can just do this once for five months yeah, and stop yeah. um and so i just continuously was a sponge so i was always listening always working and from the very beginning i've always tried to innovate and so that led to me hitting google a ton and being like hey is there something that already does this or do i need to create something and so that's sort of, you know, throughout all of that, you know, I've gotten the opportunity to to learn a lot of things that maybe most people wouldn't. And then I've also had a very strong interest in computers since I was a kid. So, you know, the back end automations and even very light programming. I used to write batch files to mess with people in high school. So, you know, <laughs> it was it was just a lot of everything up to everything in my life up to this point has essentially led to now where I have been able to do this. Yeah, you just zigzagged all of these different places and able to pull what you need from them and then now you're putting them together but where like what are you doing now to find to con continuously get better because now you're the zigzagging is kind of stopping like you're yeah. you're here now with this company yeah. what are you doing to continuously learn in whatever other areas or find those gaps that you have like what are you doing in that side to become either professionally more like I guess professional development is what I'm looking for here so um you know Coursera has been nice for okay. some of the more base yeah. stuff so I've been like taking like you know the Google 
marketing certificate programs, mm -hmm. like six different certificates in there, just for my edification, because I know that it's important for a business owner um, to understand, you know, a bit of everything. So I've taken some, you know, um, inventory classes I've taken. So Coursera has been really nice for that because it's like $50 a month and yeah, yeah. you get access to all these great programs. Um, but I think like for me, I just never stop. I never stop trying to improve what I've got. Um, so with my, my fleet clients, I have, you know, more recently, I, up, I updated the way they can book. I've offered, I have, I have a new, more convenient way for them to book. I have one fleet client um, who, you know, and he, uh, his office manager is the one that handles it. So every Monday I would email her and I would say, hey, do you need service this week? Um, and she would have to individually or as a mass email, whatever, all of their reps, they have like, you know, 15 reps um, between the two teams. And then those reps would have to go out to their car and figure all that out. So um, for my for my convenience and, you know, I, my goal was to make it convenient for her. And so I grabbed my, you know, booking tool. I've used, I, I embed, I think, Calendly onto my website. So I went to Calendly and I, I opened up a second seat and I created uh, individual booking, uh, individual like types of bookings yeah. for each client. And now all they have to do, and I use one of their routing forms. So now all you have to do is my website and there's a little black bubble in the bottom right-hand corner and they click that. And then they, it, you ask you what type of client you are, fleet, individual, like so fleet, new, current, or um, office client. And you pick fleet or office or whichever, and then it brings you to a page and you just put in your company email and it brings you straight to your company's booking page. And so that booking page lists all of the vehicles by tag and then also their unique identifier with me. And so the reps can look at their sticker and then be like, okay, I'm number three and check that and pick their day that they're going to be at the office and hit go. And so, and then, you know, office manager gets a confirmation email. So it's just constantly trying to reiterate on what I've already got and make it easier to use, make it more convenient, make it more attractive because, you know, I don't think something, anything that's functional can also be attractive. It just takes a little more effort. So. And then how do you balance all that too? I mean, you're taking classes now on the, like when you have time, you are yeah. thinking of new ways of what you need to do. You're managing fleets, you're managing individual people, you're driving to all these locations across Atlanta with all the, the traffic that we have. Like, how do you, what programs or not necessarily programs, but systems do you use to kind of balance your life out? Like well, I mean, for, professionally though, because you have yeah. like your personal life too. And that's, yeah. I mean, I stop working at five um, unless I'm out working with a client. So I don't work past 5 p.m. I might answer an email or two if it's urgent. Yeah. Um, but that gives me that work-life balance that I so desperately need and that my girlfriend wouldn't accept if we didn't have. Um, and I rightfully so, I think that it's really important for mental health to, you know, have yeah. some time where you don't have to think about it. Of course, I'm always thinking about it. You know, I listen to when I'm driving to, 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 you know, work on my fleet clients vehicles, I'm listening to podcasts and my brain just, it just never stops ever. And so I'll be listening to a podcast and I'll zone out for a second and be like, oh, idea. And I have a personal phone that I use my GPS for, and I have the Valley oil change phone. And so I just hit, Hey, Google text valet oil changes and then i i just verbally tell my phone what that idea is and then at the end of each day i go through my my text messages from myself and i like <laughs> log them into this thing and it's kind of my sheet of improvements to make or new ideas or additional ways to do things you know and so it's 
I just never stop, I guess, ultimately yeah. is what it is. Um, well, that's genius, though, because I think I don't remember where I don't remember where I heard this, but it's like you should organize and schedule blank time for you, gray time, as they call it, I believe, where like it could just be staring at a wall. It could be reading just something mm -hmm. where your mind isn't necessarily working. Yeah. Just to let it like decompress. But then you also let some of those like creative moments. I think Steve Jobs and like uh, whoever owned Tim Cook schedule mm -hmm. like anywhere from like two to four hours a day where they don't yeah. do anything during the working day. Yeah. That way they can just let that creativity kind of come however it comes. Oh, I'm very excited to get to the point where I can schedule that much time for nothing. Well, they needed to bring for up that. all these new ideas, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean yeah, some... what's that? Oh, like that just sounds like an amazing idea. And I'm I'm excited <laughs> not to do all the work myself so I can do that. What so when you're going through these different text messages and everything else that you're sending yourself when you're driving, what are some of the big ones that you've had that you think you're gonna start implementing? Uh, I mean, out, here in the future. I mean, outside of uh, related companies that I'm going to be opening, including <laughs> a mobile detailing company and a, a limo oh, wow. service. A limo? Um, what was that last one? A limo service, a shuttle okay. company. Um, and it, it's related distantly. There, there. I've had. I I tend to when I started Valley Oil Changes. You know, it's an oil change company, right? But I don't like. I said I never stop. And so, and I never, I don't allow my, I, I think that any thought that you can have is worth having. Action is where you should draw the line. No matter what it is, I think ethically, religiously, morally, whatever, you should be, you should be safe in your mind to have whatever thought you want, but you should always have the ability to judge whether or not that's something that you should do, or it's good to do, or is good for humanity or whatever. So, um, so for me, that limitation when it comes to business, I don't I don't limit myself at all. I have plans for a, you know, a, a, su a supercar oil change shop. People who drive, you know, multi-million dollar cars don't, they're not, they're, they're, I'm not doing it in their driveway. They're yeah. not, they're not for that. They they tow these vehicles, you know, on a bed of a truck to the shop. Um, and so I have this goal. I mean, do you know what a, the average oil change for a Bugatti Veyron cost? Twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. Um, so somebody who's paying that much for—I mean, it's a—it's it's a two-point-five million-dollar car, right? So someone who's paying that much for a car doesn't care about the oil change cost, whatever. But the amenities of a place where they are going to go or not—I mean, even for their assistant, you know—to go and sit for a while—I think that those need to be next level. I think that the facility needs to be incredible, and so that's a long-term goal. So. You know, that's all, like I said, I never, I never stop. Um, but yeah, all, ad adjacent companies all under the Valet brand, all related um, that can function together. Like the mobile detailing, I have a lot of clients who ask for that. Um, and fleet clients love the idea as well. So like, so that way you're doing the, someone's doing the, well, I guess you can't really do the oil change and detail at the same time. You could do maybe some of the interior detailing while the oil change is happening. And then you'd want to swap. Because one of my, you know, big thing for me is environmental impact. I don't want surface contamination of oil or soap and water. It doesn't matter. So um, all of that is going to have to be taken into consideration. Interesting. So for the Valley Oil Change, though, what are some plans that you have that you think the way the company will evolve over the next couple of years? Two really big ones that are going to have an enormous splash on the company and the client base. 
one for the internal side, I'm going to have a new system custom developed, something that I can class, I can, I can partner with Carfax on through, because right now you have to part, you have to use one of the shop softwares that Carfax um, partners with. I'm going to be contacting Carfax to determine, you know, what is what are the requirements for me to partner? Because it's just going to be valid oil changes using it. Um, at least at first, maybe we'll license it when we get some of the kinks worked out. But that a unified system, because one of the issues right now is I use Airtable to keep customer profiles for like the vehicles specifically. So Airtable is kind of a freeform CRM. It's really neat. You can change the names of any fields and reorient it however you want. It's like a very glorified Excel in the cloud. Um, and so what I do is I have, you know, have their name, customer name, individual or fleet, whatever. And then I click on their name and then it has a list of all the vehicles they have. And so I click on the vehicle and it tells me exactly you know, it tells me the vehicle, I have vehicle history records attached to it so I can know what the mileage was, the last oil change. Um, it also gives me the oil filter, air filter, oil type, oil spec, everything that I need to know to service the car properly and effectively and correctly is in this profile. Well, what's really strange and I didn't realize this at first is shop management software is used by mechanic shops don't have profiles like that. You can have the customer name and the fact that they have this car on file, but there's no ability to notate the type of materials used or anything else. Um, you have vehicle history and the vehicle itself, but nothing else. And that adds a lot of time. If you have to pull the spec on a vehicle every single time, um, it's just, it adds too much time. So my goal is to take both air, like the air tables. I want to combine the two. I want a shop software that does everything that I'm doing with both of them. So that's a big one internally that'll help create significant efficiency and that will partner with the other big thing that will customers clients will really really like which is an app that allows them to book and pay um and select additional services whatever and that's version one of that app is going to be booking and paying and keeping customer profiles the version two of that app is going to have a physical tag of some sort that tracks mileage um i don't know exactly how i'm going to do that yet the privacy concern of location is a big deal so but what i want in the long run is a little air tag type thing you just throw in your car and it's it's attached to your ve that vehicle's profile and your customer profile and what you do is you when you get in the car the app recognizes that tag and then it starts tracking the miles of driving and so as you drive you hit your service mileage you just get a little notification from the app saying hey um you know your whatever your tolerance is so you're 500 miles away from your next service do you want to go ahead and book and then it is and then it's like you hit yes and it's like okay these are the next available dates um you pick one and it's like okay cool do you want any additional services no and it's like these are the addresses you have on file do you want to use one of these or a new one and it's literally just like three clicks and you're booked and then when we show up we do the service there's a big old round button on the screen it hits pay and you're done so there's no <laughs> Don't pull out your car. Don't come out of your meeting, any of that. So I think that those are going to be game changers for sure. Those will be huge for you. They'll just make everything so much more streamlined. And I'm sure by the yeah. time in a couple of years too, I was talking to someone from Google and he was saying like, imagine every year you go to Disney World or just like regular, like he lives out in California. And yeah. he was talking about, I always go to the same shops. I usually always get the same thing. Like if the AI and all that other stuff can just predict that where he can just walk into the shop or not the shop, but like walk into Disney and knows that he's there 
yeah. and knows he's going to go to that place. It's already ordered by the time he gets there with his name. He just picks it up and it all happens without him having to pay, without him having to actually open up his phone. It just knows. Yeah. Eventually, I bet your car service will eventually get to that point where it's just like, hey, you're up. You don't even have to like schedule it. It kind of somehow mm-hmm. integrates into everything. But that's all the, <laughs> that's like yeah. futuristic, futuristic kind of stuff. Yeah. No, it's going to be fun though. And then you also just mentioned something about environmental impact. So I guess my first part of the question is, I think a lot of people can guess the environmental impact, but what exactly is it when it comes to oil changes? And then the second part of that is how are you specifically combating those negative impacts? Yeah. So, I mean, with vehicles in general, right? So you get CO2 emissions. That's the obvious, like operating your vehicle. Yeah. Emissions are a big one. Um, they impact, you know, the ozone layer and pretty much everything else for that matter. <laughs> um, you know, and then with oil changes specifically, you've got a couple of spent materials. So you've got um, oil, obviously you've got spent yeah. oil. And you've got spent oil filters. Um, and even though certain manufacturers, especially the German manufacturers and Japanese manufacturers right now, American manufacturers are catching up. Um, they like to let the engineers over there do, do their thing and you know discover how to, how to use these new Permanent oil filter housings where you just replace the paper element are becoming more popular. And I really like it because the paper element is easier to recycle than the big old can. Um, and actually, you know what, I've got both right here. So what? So here's a good, here's a good one. Here's a big old can, right? Yeah. It's a giant metal filter can. Um, and basically the filter element that comes, and I'll show you what the paper one looks like, filter elements in the inside here. And this is just a big, uh, big aluminum can. And so they take these away. So I, I recycle both the oil and the oil filter. Um, and the, menu, the recycler takes it away and they fit, they take the oil and they separate it by quality of, you know, how much gunk is in this, you know, what's the best quality. Yeah. The best quality oil is taken and used to make base oils, which goes into the production of new oil. And then the worst quality is sold to industrial applications that burn it as fuel which isn't ideal, but it's better than it going back in the dirt. Um, and that's pretty much standard across the industry. I don't want to say, I don't want to, you know, slander anyone. That is pretty much how everyone operates. Um, if there are bad actors within the chain, you know, but I work directly with my, my, I, I don't pass it on to a distributor who then passes it on to a recycler. Mm-hmm. Like I bring everything directly to the recycle. And so this is what a new paper filter looks like. So we've gone from this giant metal can, you know, to a paper filter. So this is essentially what's inside here. Um, and so these are great because you don't have a bunch of metal and this big rubber gasket and all this stuff that you have to recycle every time. Um, but so that's that's kind of the base, you know, what's going on, why oil changes in an internal combustion engine aren't necessarily great for the environment. What I'm doing with my company is I'm... Well, the first step, what I'm doing currently is for every quart of oil we fill, we plant one tree through a partnership with One Tree Planted. I think we're up to almost 300 trees from less than 50 oil changes. So that's that's just really exciting for me because it's something that means a lot to me personally. Um, I've reached out to Four Ocean to discuss uh, plastic-free operation, um, which is a big deal. There's, you know, oil comes in plastic jugs a lot of the time. And even though I buy in bulk, 
they still come in plastic bags. And so they're, you know, I'm working with suppliers to try to limit the amount of plastic. I also try to buy in bulk whenever oh, I can. Huh? The big barrels come with a big plastic bag in there? No, no. So the barrels don't, but right now I'm also getting six gallon boxes and those come with a bag in them. So the big barrels are, don't, do not come in plastic, which is great. And that's okay. why the switch from small like jugs is great um, because that's, you know, a massive amount of plastic waste. Um, and then air filters, engine air filters are a huge problem. They're, you know, K&Ns are washable, but they allow more silicates into the engine. Um, and so there's a give and take with that. And I have yet to decide if I'm going to be partnering with a K&N to try to create a filter that's maybe not their performance filter, but it's still washable so that I can use it with my clients so that they're not producing air filters going to the landfill because air filters are made of like five different materials. You've got plastics, rubbers, fiberglass, paper, metal. Um, and there is no one, as far as I can find right now, that recycles them because the sheer manpower that it requires to break them apart into their individual components, plastic, paper, fiberglass, metal, um, it has to be done by hand. So there's no money to be made in that. And so people don't do it. So currently I am stockpiling all the air filters that I take away all the dirty ones and I'm going to be commissioning a sculpture made out of them um once i have enough so that we can keep <laughs> all of those out of a landfill and then long term i want i want to find a way whether it's a nonprofit or however to recycle them or at least keep them and maybe reuse them i don't know exactly how recycle them in some way yeah. um to keep out of landfills because that's that's a huge impact that plastic and rubber it just never goes away you know so jeez i'm crow what would you do with what for your idea for the commission piece of art yeah do you have any ideas of what you would want it to be of i'm not sure yet so there's i've thought about it and i i love the ocean <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a scuba diver which is part of the reason the four ocean you know partnership yeah. and i want to work with them long term as well um but uh i'm i was thinking maybe like a big octopus or something because I, I just i just love oct octopi they're just so cool but also i i kind of i'm not sure if i should just let the artist decide because that's you know they're the artists um but i do want to find a local business to house the sculpture um maybe maybe it could do some rounds at the high museum or something that'd be really cool well i mean that would be a huge depending on how big it was and all that like i bet you could get some publicity for it depending on how you did it yeah. just to make a statement about hey like the environmental community would eat that up yeah and it, it's really like a sad thing the air filters are something that are just not recycled and it bugs the heck out of me. So I've got, I think I've got like six of them sitting over here on the floor um, that are in boxes, just waiting for me to stockpile enough to make, have someone make a sculpture out of them. And you think so. about how many, how many, some of those shop, like a single shop goes through. Mm -hmm. I, and, and most, and you know, you got to think about that too. So I don't do any unnecessary upselling with my service. Air yeah. filters are an important element of an engine, right? But I don't upsell them if they don't need to be replaced. But a lot of bad actors in those shops do upsell every time you get an oil change. So they're quadrupling the number of air filters and landfills by doing these upsells that make them a ton of money, but they're not necessary. And so that's also a big problem. Oh, geez, I'm crow. Yeah, it's 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 wild. And it's it's one of those industries that has just been allowed to kind of do whatever it wants for so long because so many of us either don't know, feel like we don't have the power to change it, or, you know, just don't know enough about cars to argue with the mechanic. Um, 
And so it's 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 one of those industries that has been just kind of despite you know government regulation, you know, coming up with the emission standards and stuff, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's just a it's a problematic industry for sure. And then what led you into being so interested into the environment? Like what what opened that interest for you? It's it's been an interest I've had my entire life. So I am I more recently learned that what I have always done is called primitive camping. Um, I just called it camping. Apparently, primitive. <laughs> what I apparently you know going to a campsite with like pre-built like tents and stuff like that or yurts or whatever they are is considered camping now. So I always my I remember when I was a kid we used to go camping in the Appalachian Mountains, um, and I caught my food you know. And so, but we were always taught, you know, leave a campsite cleaner than when you, when you left it. Um, and, you know, from a very young age, I was camping, I was spending a lot of time. And to be clarified, I preferred fishing because it was a lot less gruesome and a lot easier, quite frankly, than, than hunting. Um, I'm not really a hunter. So, but the um, being around nature that much and getting to be in what was essentially just the absolute wilderness for a week at a time was super was super impactful for me and knowing that I was leaving it without damaging it was super important um and as I grew up you know doing like one tree planted I've been donating one tree planted for years um but it was always a lot smaller you know a lot smaller amounts it was like at Christmas time or whatever um but and then I and then I became a scuba diver and 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 dive training they like pound the heck out of you know environmental impact and <laughs> like don't touch stuff. We mm-hmm. teach you, we teach you neutral buoyancy to keep you from touching the floor. Don't touch stuff. Leave it alone. You know, just don't touch stuff. You know, and I think that's super important. And it kind of just helped reiterate all that. So I don't know. I just I've always loved nature and hiking, camping, scuba diving. It's just you know, having, you know, going to Mars and colonizing Mars, sure, whatever, but I don't think that having, having an escape plan is a reason not to save what we already have. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, But we're coming up towards the time here, so if anyone wanted an oil change, if they wanted to get in touch with you to learn more, where should they reach out to you? So for an oil change, you can go to the website, valetoilchanges.com, and you can just book a cert, book, book your service, take your time and date, out the form. If you want to get in contact with me directly, I'm available on social media. Um, I'm also available on uh, via text, email, call, pretty much whatever you want. Uh, I respond to. I, I like to be accessible as part of the convenience aspect of my business. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your time today. I can't wait to see what happens this next year with everything that you have with um ballet oil changes and yeah thank you for your time today awesome i really appreciate it It was great to be here thank you chris absolutely